at chapter 11. Part three of a four-part walk through Isaiah in the month of December during Advent. Isaiah chapter 11. Hear now the word of God. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east, They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us today by his Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy for me to forget things. Where did I put the keys? What 
child do I have to take to this place and that? My wife is so much better than, than I am, and we're so forgetful, aren't we? Well, it can be easy for us to forget the Lord, much more than even keys where we place them on what shelf perhaps they may be found. Israel forgot the Lord. In particular, when things were prosperous, they thought we don't need the Lord. They forgot the law and the gospel. And the Lord, in both grace and judgment, sent them prophets. Men like Hosea and Amos. And Isaiah, perhaps the most most well-known and beloved of the prophets, was a contemporary in the 700s B.C. And Isaiah was sent to bring God's covenant lawsuit against his disobedient people. Curses for disobeying the covenant made with Moses. But he was also sent to bring them God's covenant promises of grace, going back to what God promised to Abraham, and before that to Adam and Eve. For a remnant, Isaiah said, there is hope, repent and trust in the Messiah to come. A Messiah that we saw two weeks ago would be born of a virgin. As we saw last week, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And as we see today, a mingling of prophecies related to his first and second comings. It's hard to take all of this in. I know as you're reading this, maybe for the first time this week, and I've been reading it all week and it's hard to take it all in. But there are levels and layers here. First, there are promises of what is happening in the day of Isaiah. Then, 700 years beyond to the day of the coming of Jesus. And then, a day even beyond our day to the reign of the new heavens and the new earth of this Messiah. This is a glorious passage where God promises his blessings will flow far as the curse is found through a child first who is a branch. At the end of Isaiah 10, you'll look, if you look there with me, do you remember in the original there are no chapter breaks? So you have to see Isaiah 10, 33, and 34 to see what's going on here. Picture the sequoias, the redwoods of California, all of them down to a stump. Picture the Lord of the Rings, Saruman. The orcs are going to take out the forest of Fangorn. The fires of Isengard are alive. It's a dead wasteland of stumps. Israel is a forest burned to the ground. God has come in judgment. Assyria is used by God to judge Israel. And Assyria, who's boasting in itself, will also be judged by God. Isaiah 10 ends with a picture of the proud who are brought low. The proud in Israel, the northern kingdom, the proud in Judah, the southern kingdom, the proud in Assyria, the invading kingdom. It looks like there's no life. But then you turn to chapter 11 and there's a stump. Now kids, a stump doesn't seem like much, does it? You're outside and you maybe want to get the stump out after you cut the tree down. Is the stump alive? Well, what stump is this? Do you see that? It's the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? He's the father of David. Jesse of Bethlehem. Jesse, the least among the thousands of Judah. The Davidic dynasty is so low at this point, David's name is not even mentioned here. 
The kings have been so disobedient in the line of David at this point in the 700s B.C. that it looks like there's no hope left. But if you look at the stump, there's a shoot coming out of it. That means a little life children, maybe a little green pointed up plant. You read and I read chapter 11 and chapter 10 and think, okay, that might be like Monday there's a stump and Tuesday there's a shoot. But loved ones, there are 700 years between the end of chapter 10 and the start of chapter 11. The year 1323 was 700 years ago. That's how long it will be until this shoot comes up. Isaiah's thinking of a child that will be born in a manger, not a palace. To a poor virgin woman, not to nobles. With swaddling cloths, not royal garments. Visited by shepherds. From this shoot comes a branch. And the branch will bear fruit. And the fruit that this branch will bear is an entire new world beyond what we can even take in the glory that awaits verse 2 the image shifts from a shoot to a king you see how this is poetic prophecy that's the genre here it's a very interesting form of literature isn't it so this shoot will also become a king in the line of David Fulfilling the promises made to David. That one on his throne, God said, would sit forever. But what kind of a king is he? Because there's been all sorts of rotten kings in David's line. Ahaz being chief among them. Who is reigning at this time that Isaiah prophesied. Oh, this king is not just from a royal pedigree. Much more than that, he is endowed with the spirit of God. The seven-fold spirit of God. Not just the spirit coming upon him to do a task, like maybe those who built the tabernacle. But Isaiah sees here all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the work that they will do for your salvation, out of love for you, dear one. Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He grew in wisdom and stature by the Spirit. He laid down his life on the cross by the Spirit. He's baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit is the bond of love and of grace and of glory between the Father and Son. The Son needs the Spirit. The Spirit empowers him for the work he will do, for the redemption he will accomplish, for the law he will obey. This is no ordinary man. He will bring lasting change, not like the politicians who promise things that they don't deliver. The change will come through his spirit, through his gospel, not through power or coercion. He has the spirit fully of wisdom. Do you notice that? All the treasures of wisdom are in him. All knowledge is in him. He's wiser than Solomon. The spirit of understanding. He has perception. That woman at the well, he knew all about her. He loved her. He knows all about you. He loves you. The spirit of 
counsel. We saw that last week. Wonderful counselor. He sets up the church. He builds the church. He has perfect counsel. The spirit of might, far more than Samson. Might to feed the 5,000. To lay down his life. He's not a victim. To take it up again and rise. To conquer death. The spirit of knowledge. There's something interesting in Samuel's life. Do you remember the prophet? It applies in many ways to us. He grew up hearing the word of God. He had all sorts of religious teaching. And yet, 1 Samuel 3, 7, he did not know the Lord. Knowledge is a personal, intimate relationship with a person. This Messiah has the spirit of knowledge. He loves his Father, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He is God in the flesh. He has the spirit without measure. He is all-sufficient and glorious and perfectly qualified for you to trust him. You can't trust anyone else like Jesus. Come to him with your weariness, with your burdens, with your sorrows, with your joys. Cry out to him in dependence. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to delight in him. He wants you to rest in him. This is who he is, beloved. And that spirit that is on him is given to you and to me. Ephesians 1, the spirit of knowledge and wisdom and revelation. When this spirit comes on Jesus, what's the result? A king who is perfectly righteous and just. A king who is not going to be impressed with outward appearances, but who sees the heart. A king who's not going to be fooled by anyone. Not going to be fooled by fake repentance and pretending. A king who has eyes like a flame of fire, revelation. He is all-knowing. He, he is omniscient. We judge a book by the cover all the time, don't we? We look at someone, we hear something, we make a judgment, we have an opinion, we dismiss, we grow cold, we fail to love. Not so this king. He cares for the least in the kingdom, the afflicted, the poor, the meek. We talked about meekness a while ago. Meekness is not like weakness in a bad sense. Meekness is strength under control. That's who he is. And as you're reading this, suddenly, here's where the poetic prophecy happens. There's a shift. Look at verse 4. From Isaiah prophesying of the 700 years in the future coming of the Messiah, who he is, to zoop, a catapult, to the end of time. Look at verse 4. He will come and strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. So now he's a gladiator. He's dressed for battle. He's riding forth to conquer. And Paul picks up the same image in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. The lawless one, the man of sin, will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill, how? With the breath of his mouth. That's right out of this passage. Isaiah is speaking here 
of the fact that Jesus has the authority to carry out the final judgment. As God spoke the world into existence, so he will slay the wicked, the beast and all who follow him. John picks this up in Revelation 19. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. He will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. Do you believe that, loved ones? He will come with a sword, which is his word, to conquer the world. He's clothed in blood, Revelation says. The blood of his enemies. Right out of Isaiah 63. The winepress. This is the coming judgment. When Jesus will come back, no one will survive on their own. The wrath of God will be poured out. The warrior Jesus will speak. Evil will not have the last word. For you Christian today, this is a word of encouragement. How can you stand in this day? Not on your own. And not on my own. He will judge with righteousness. We do not stand before the throne on the day of Jesus' return or when we die on the basis of our works. We stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And for the Christian, that final judgment has already happened as you trust in Jesus by faith, as his righteousness is imputed to you. His active obedience, his passive obedience, his life, his death, his resurrection. There's no hope without it. For the Christian, this is a day that we look forward to. It's pure gospel. For the non-Christian, be warned. It's pure law. But now is the day to repent. Now is the day to flee to Jesus. God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. He's given proof of it how? By raising Jesus from the dead, Acts 17. Thanks be to God for this Christ. The Spirit of God is on him in perfect fullness. And secondly, he will come to bring a promised peace. The image of judgment now needs to be seen in light of the peace that he will bring. Do you see how Isaiah's overlapping poetic prophecy? There's a lot that discourages us in this world. Sickness, disease, broken relationships, sin, sorrow, death. We live in a Genesis 3 fallen world. But one day, the whole creation that has been groaning since the fall will groan no longer. The one anointed with the Spirit is the only one who can renew all creation. He made it. He loves it. This is Isaiah's prophetic picture of the world yet to come. And look at how it's given in words that, as parents, we almost cringe. Do you see that in verse 8? Look at these little ones all around us. We love their noises. We love their presence. From newborn babies to toddlers. Imagine this little baby that's here and these toddlers here. You stick them right by the den of a cobra. Parents, go out and have fun and stick your hand in there. You see this picture? There's a story told, I didn't experience this, I'm quoting, of a man in Africa who went outside one day and saw a cobra fully up and hooded, chasing after someone. 
he went after him with the machete. He strongly struck him down. The cobra stopped moving. The man who was being chased said, I don't think this guy is dead yet. Finish him off. Oh, he's dead. Again, I'm quoting this story. I don't have first-hand account. He put the cobra in a box. He wanted his kids later on to see the supposedly dead cobra. Later on, he brings one of his kids over there. He opens the box. Up comes the cobra. It wasn't dead. At that point, the machete finishes off finally and kills the cobra. Can you imagine what this is like? We can't. That's the point. Put a, li- a lamb in the den of the wolf at Como Zoo. How's that going to turn out, kids? Isaiah is saying this world is beyond our imagination. The peace that comes from the king. Don't overly literalistically say that, okay, in the new heavens and new earth, kids will be sticking their hands in the cobra's dens. That, that's not the point. It's about the pervading peace and safety through the Messiah. This is like Narnia. Right, when you read this, as Derek Thomas says, does that come to your mind, kids? God made all these animals. God cares for all these animals. And it's a picture of the enmity that is between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent being no more. A picture of Genesis 3.15 being fulfilled. Not only Eden, but better than Eden without the possibility of sin or temptation or evil entering. The curse is gone. It's a kingdom of peace. Verse 9, the world will be new forever. They will not destroy in all my holy mountain. My holy mountain is Mount Zion. What was Mount Zion? The place where the temple was. God met with his people there. What's inside the temple? Decorations, pillars, carvings, trees that would remind them of what? The Garden of Eden. Isaiah's vision is the whole world will be like the Temple Mount, filled with God's presence. Death and destruction are no more. Sin is no more. Isaiah is not speaking of a golden age in this world here. He's speaking of what he says in Isaiah 65 and what John says in Revelation 21. The new heavens and new earth. God's purpose is not just to redeem your soul, but your body. God's purpose is to give you a resurrected body. And not just that, but to resurrect the entire world. We don't know all the details of this. Isaiah is telling us things that are beyond what our minds to grasp. But it will be a physical place with animals, with peace, with joy unending. There's questions we can't answer. Jesus ate fish in his resurrected body. We will eat. We will enjoy. We will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be with each other and we will be with the Lord. That's the point beyond all. We will behold the glory of God in the face of Christ forever and ever. No more cancer. No more miscarriages. No more disabilities. No more sin. No more conflict in marriages and in relationships. No more bitterness. No more exploding anger. No more lust. No more pornography here. No more using people. 
No more angling at people. No more pretending. No more performing. But enjoying the Lord forevermore. It's all by his grace. It's all to his glory. The former things will pass away. That's what Christmas is all about. Not just a baby born in a manger. Not just a cute little manger scene. But a conquering warrior who will come again to judge the living and the dead. Who will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. Third, for whom? A promised remnant. So the branch brings in the peace for a remnant. In the day of Israel, it was Assyria. One world, one king, one order, one dynasty. You go back in history, it would be a number of people before and after. War and hatred and strife. But here is a picture of people at peace and rest. Don't you long to be at peace and rest? You can rest in Christ, and this is true for you if you trust in him. All the promises made to Abraham have been fulfilled now. But who are these people? Do you wonder that in verse 10? Some say this was fulfilled when in 538, the remnant came back after the Babylonian captivity and Nehemiah and others and Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubble and the wall went up and the temple got rebuilt. But that wasn't anything close to the previous temple. And the Assyrian conquering, those tribes from the north never came back. It was never the same again. Some of those older people who saw the first temple wept when the second temple was there. This can't be that. In fact, verse 10 says it's much beyond that. It's a banner. It's a signal. Something you raise in victory. For whom? For the nations. Isaiah personifies the banner as being the messianic ruler himself, Christ is the banner. And yet, look at the language. Now, verse 10, he is the root of Jesse. Notice that? What did verse 1 say? Verse 1 said, a shoot from Jesse. So how can he be the root and the shoot? It would take 700 years before they would find that out. Luke 1.32, in his human Lineage. He is from the line of Jesse and David. That's where he traces his ancestry. He is truly human. As the one who is truly God, he is the king and the lord of Jesse and David. He is the origin of Jesse, the root. Revelation 22 says this, the last chapter of the Bible, showing the connectedness of Scripture, loved ones. Jesus says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star, the reversal of the passage. A humble sprout amongst dead stumps is raised up as a signal for the nations to come and worship him. It's not invisible. So where is this banner raised? The Bible interprets itself. This language goes back to Exodus 17. Amalek, the victory that happened when Moses' hands had to be held up. Remember, his hands got so tired, kids? God brought victory, and they raised something. What did they raise? The Lord is my banner. 
they built an altar. Goes back to Exodus 17. God designed this, but it points forward to the one greater than Moses. It points forward to the time when God raised up his son as a banner. How? By putting him on a cross. As Moses lifted up that bronze snake in the wilderness, John 3, so the Son of Man is lifted up. When he died on the cross, he draws all people to himself, he says. All kinds. All languages. All colors. All cultures. All ethnicities. All continents. All people groups. A remnant from them all. The gift we need at Christmas is this, salvation through substitution, Christ dying in our place. But there's more. Romans 15, Paul quotes from Isaiah 11. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. So his death on the cross is a raising up, as is his resurrection from the dead. He has been raised up for the whole world to know that by his resurrection, he is a banner, a signal to the nations. Come and seek the Messiah while he may be found. He's risen, he's reigning, he's Lord, he's returning. All the promises made to Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This is partly why we are here at this time. Beloved, God has called us to this place in Edina to raise a banner of the death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Christ from the dead for the peoples of this city. One encouragement and challenge for us in the new year, pray that you will have the opportunity to share the gospel with at least one person in 2024. Pray for courage. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for opportunities. Pray for the Lord to bring salvation. We don't do it. God does. He uses means. Pray for that, Emmaus wrote. Isaiah 11, 11 says a second time. Pentecost is referred to here. Not just the exodus from Egypt, but a huge implication here for missions. A second time, God's hand is in this. Not only to bring the nations, but verse 13, whom else? He brings brothers together. Sometimes the greatest strife is between families, civil wars, blood feuds, marriages, churches, cousins, siblings, going at it. That's what happened with Judah, the southern kingdom, Ephraim, the north, Israel. But not in this day. In this day, God will bring them who are divided by envy and jealousy over riches and success. He'll bring them together. That signal that in Isaiah 5.26 was a judgment of the nations against Israel now is a signal of Israel being reunited. And true Israel, who is Jesus, bringing together believing ethnic Israel, believing Gentiles into one family of God. Verse 14. David conquered all these kingdoms. The Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the mercenaries, probably from 2 Samuel 10. The point is, all of God's people are reconstituted together. The image in Isaiah 
comes to fruition in Ephesians 6. Do you remember the armor of God? All of those pieces of the armor come from Isaiah. And all of those pieces are the armor actually of Jesus. When you put on Christ, you put on his armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, the gospel word of peace. So the gospel goes forth. The nations that formerly hated the Lord and his people are one to Christ. The Euphrates and the Red Sea are dried up, meaning all the things that kept God's people from God and from his promised land are no more. Victory comes because the Lord fights for his people. There is one way to the Father, by faith in Jesus the Son. For whom is this promise made? All who believe. Do you trust Jesus? Do you know him? Not just know about him, but do you know him by faith? Do you know his love and kindness and care for you? Do you love him? The gospel call goes to all. Everyone who is thirsty, come. He who has no money, Isaiah 55, come and buy and drink. In John 7, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. It's in Christ. And at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Anyone thirsty today? We look around, look for satisfaction. It's found only in Christ. Take the water of life without price. God will do this. The dead stumps in chapter 10 are trees of righteousness, a forest in Isaiah 61. God will be glorified. Emmanuel, the branch, the light of the world. The one whose resting place will be glorious. Do you see that in verse 10? When all of Christ's work of salvation and judgment is done, this is what will be described in that day. He is glorious. The glory is the sum of his beauties, his wisdom and understanding, his counsel and might, his delight and righteousness and mercy. His glory, verse 10, is the sum of all of his work. The nations gathered, believing Israel restored, the curse removed, the new heavens and the new earth. That is his resting place. And as you trust in him, that is your resting place. He will be the center. The glory is the lamb himself. For all who come to him in faith and repentance, every sorrow will be past, every joy unimaginable, unimaginable, will be satisfied in him. That is the future that awaits you, Christian. You will finally be home with the Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. On page eight, we will sing as we stand. This song is sung at Christmas.